0: Don't have all the answers. I haven't heard all the questions yet. So We're still working our way through that, right? Anyway, welcome, 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 welcome. We're glad you're here. Today's a great day. I wonder if we could ask if we could have the house lights on for just, you know, a couple minutes. Um, Today's a great day. In three words or less, pop up and tell us why today is a great day. Three words or less, tell us. Don't clap, I said three words or less. I'm healthy. There you go. You want to give him one of your words because you only use two? Okay. The Lord let me live another day. Next, three words or less. I can talk. It's a great day. <laughs> pop up, pop up. We just call this pop up testimony, and I know some of you have never been around that, but. No, no, I just love real people. I do. I do. Why is this a great day? Why is this a great day? It is a great day, right? Uh-uh, I don't know. Nothing special, I guess. This is a great day. You know why it's a great day? It's the day the Lord has made. And you ought to rejoice and be glad in it. And it's the only day you've got. You don't have yesterday. That's a canceled check. That's gone. You have no promise. Neither do I have tomorrow. So we have the nasty now and now right here today. This is it. And it is a great day. Some of you are down because of the weather. The weather has nothing to do with whether it's a great day. That's just like me asking you, how are you doing? You say, I'm busy. That is not an answer to how are you? It's a great day. Turn to somebody and say it's a great day, because some of them are never going to admit it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I should have done that to start with. Thank you. Wow. (laughs) Have you ever heard of the phrase, living by faith? No. How many have ever heard that phrase? Okay. Boy, that's an overwhelming majority right there. Um... (laughs) Have you ever wondered, if you've heard that phrase, have you ever wondered what that really means? Nobody's ever wondered? Yeah. Yeah. I still wonder. But for the rest of you, you just understand what it means, huh? Really means, okay. Have you ever wondered what that really means? I'd like you to allow me to kind of wade into the subject by, by, by making what you might consider to be a way out statement. And, and, and here it is. I want you to hear it very carefully. Living by faith is actually a strange way to live. I'll tell you what it's like. It's kind of like <clears throat> trying to talk to your child or a friend, or your spouse, when that other person is watching TV, or is busy on some handheld, one of the many handheld devices, and that person doesn't quite grasp what you're saying, because he or she has his mind totally in another place. Well, that's how we live much of the time as Christians. And I don't mean for this message this morning to be a general indictment on every Christian, and on you especially, or myself, but the fact is we have to own some of this. Our minds often aren't focused on here, they're all focused on heaven. So when people try to talk to us about stuff in this life, it's not really what we're focusing on at the moment. In some ways, faith almost makes us, what would you say, aloof, or separated. It doesn't bother us if the garage door doesn't work just like it should or our couch is 35 years old or we're going out of the house and the hair and the makeup isn't quite right. We don't get all worked up over that stuff. And, and we don't worry about our retirement accounts and how they're going and whether we're making a few thousand dollars less than our peers or our neighbors or the people who work next, next to us. We don't, we don't even think about those things or, or whether we're really getting ahead in life. Why? Because we live by faith. Our minds are on those loftier, higher things, the future things, the eternal things. And with our eyes on the cross and the empty grave, in the big picture of heaven and hell, all these other things don't really count for much. Doesn't that all sound good? Unfortunately, that's not usually our attitude. Unfortunately, that's not where you and I, as Christians, live our lives. The truth is, we do get worked up over whether the clothes coordinate or we spend a lot of time making sure the corners of the cabinet are just right. We work hard to make sure we can have the proper nest egg built up for retirement. How's that working for you? Instead of focusing on our heavenly retirement, we end up either trying to hide from our past, or to, in advance, fix our future. And and let me make this statement. It never feels, it never quite feels like we're there, does it? I mean, there is always something to do. There's always another journey to take. There's always another lesson to learn before we'll really be content. So God sees us running around most of the time from here to there to here to there like chickens with our heads cut off or heads with the chickens cut off or whatever. So today we're going to look at this man, Jacob. By the way, we're in a series on this man, Jacob, who's called the Heel Holder, H-E-E-L. And if you'll go back to Genesis 25 and read seven chapters through to chapter 31, uh, you'll get that pretty much the whole story. And I hope you are reading it, and I hope some of you have taken that seriously to get those chapters kind of fixed in your mind. But as we see Jacob, he's in the midst of a flight today, and we'll see how it is that not all flights are fun. Not all journeys are fun. Not all detours are fun. Some flights are not fun at all, but they're still necessary. So I want to talk with you this morning about what I call part two, the ultimate flight plan. Do you think Jacob was a happy camper when he laid down on, in the desert and on his way to Haran? And, 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 and I'm going to review that history with you in just a moment, so don't get too caught up in what you might or might not know at this point. But in, in message number one, Jacob had just taken part in a great deception, and that was the deception uh, of, his, of his father Isaac. And half, after having dressed up as his brother Esau... And disguising his skin, he received the double blessing of both the land and the coming Savior. And he got what his mother told him was rightfully his by the promise of God. And you'd think then that everything should have been just hunky-dory. I mean, you'd think it'd be just great for Jacob at that point. It's what he always wanted after all, and now he had it. And that's why I often say, we're funny people, because we want what we want till we get what we want, and then we don't want what we got. I've seen that happen in so many relationships. I've seen that happen in so many vocations. People searching for jobs, searching for meaning in life, searching for this in religion or in church act, just activity, or, or, or searching here and searching there, and, and, and no clear direction of where life is leading them. And, and so we want what we want till we get what we want, but when we get what we want, we don't want it anymore. And it seemed like this is kind of where Jacob is as we meet him again today. You'd expect he'd have a big old smile on his face like, man, I got the double blessing and I am sailing through. However, Jacob had a problem. Jacob had a big problem. Jacob had a big, red, hairy, problem. And the problem's name was Esau, his twin brother. So I'm going to begin to read with you in Genesis chapter 27. We're going to be in 27 and 28 primarily today. Hopefully you can follow along if you have your Bible or uh, your device that you can get to the scripture. And here's what uh, Genesis 27, 41 says. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Isn't that a great way to start a mourning? I told you it's a great day. Think about this. If Esau really believed in the blessing, why did he think that he could murder his brother? If he murdered Jacob, then he would also be murdering his hope for a savior. See, this everything these men are about to do, or everything they did in life, had lasting and eternal implications. Yet Esau's attitude was, if I can't have the blessing, then no one's going to have it. Sort of like vengeance is mine, saith the heathen. Then you begin to read at verse 42 of Genesis 27. It continues, when Rebekah was told that her older son Esau had said, what he had said, she uh, sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. (laughs) Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran or Haran. Just get out of here. Just go. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And when your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, oh, I'm sure he's going to, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So Rebecca gives Jacob some advice. Run for your life. Get out of here. Keep in mind now, it meant something to Jacob. I want to just remind you that at this point, Jacob is in his 70s. I know what you're saying, well, how old is his mother? Jacob was no spring chicken. Haran was 500 miles away in modern-day Syria, far north of southern Israel where they were located. Jacob had lived among the tents uh, with his mother and father his whole life. And Laban, who was his uncle, Rebekah's brother, was not exactly a moral man himself. And all Jacob had was the staff in his hand and the clothes on his back. But he fled immediately. And mom thought, this would only be for a little while, and then he'd come back, and it'd all be forgotten, and we'll all live happily ever after. It ended up being 20 years. Jacob never saw his mother again. And in the meantime, Esau was allowed to remain at home. So his wives and children and children's children were able to inherit all that land, and nothing changed for him. And with this blessing, everything changed for Jacob. He was uprooted. He was sent home, uh, from home like a, a cursed criminal instead of being heralded as a blessed forerunner to the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't want to go any farther into this story until I stop and and, and just kind of peruse it and and you and I take some lessons because there is an extremely important lesson for all of us in this little chapter of Jacob's life. Look, just and hear this carefully, Christian. Just because you've been blessed with a church home, just because you at some time in your life have exercised faith in Jesus Christ, just because you sit here today, and in your heart of hearts, in your soul, you have the assurance of heaven, and you know the forgiveness of sins through Christ's crucifixion, through his, his death and his burial and his resurrection, that doesn't mean that immediately God's going to notice all that and is going to start spoiling you. And he's going to become to you the big sugar daddy in the sky. He's going to be your little whipping boy. He's going to cater to your every need. And a lot of Christians go along in life thinking that's what God's purpose is. To just keep blessing me and blessing me and blessing me and answering every prayer and and serving at my bidding and just doing whatever I need. Now Jacob needed to see and feel what he did was wrong. He needed to understand that cheating and lying is not a way of life that God's going to reward. And the same goes with us. Even if you aren't doing things that deserve a 500 mile, 20 year journey to Haran, you still need God's judgment. And so do I. And Peter writes this in the New Testament over in 1 Peter chapter 4. If I could read that with you. For it's the time for judgment to begin where? With God's household. Where's God's household? That's the body of believers. That's all bloodwashed believers. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will, those who suffer according... Have you ever seen that in the Bible before? Those who suffer how? According to God's... How many have been watching the AD series? You understand this a little better now? This is Peter. He said those who suffer... Christians get this idea. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't understand why I'm suffering. I don't understand why I'm hurting. I don't understand why every turn of the road seems to be Downhill. Headed for the canyon. I mean, I don't understand that. The word of God's very clear here. It says those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and then what should they do? Continue to do good. So often we cut and run. So often we blame God or somebody, we associate it with God. So often we look for a scapegoat. I'm going to make a statement. You're going to sit there and say, I never thought I'd ever, ever, ever in public hear you say. So fasten your seatbelt, I'm about to say it. Don't expect life as a Christian to be easy. If you live... With that philosophy, you are doomed. And I mean doomed for a head-on collision. Expect these kinds of journeys. Are you any better than Jacob? Am I any better than the sons of Isaac, the grandsons of Abraham? I don't think so. Why? Here's why I said what I just said. Because one reason is that the Esau's in your life and mine, that is, the unbelievers in this life will still enjoy hating you. <laughs> they won't want to forgive your sins, especially if it's something where they can take revenge on you. Sometime you wrong them. And, you know, I find that Christians in our day really haven't changed much. It's amazing over all these hundreds, actually thousands of years, how the more we evolve into something really smart, how much we stay the same. As much as we say, oh, the world is changing and everything around us is just falling apart and everything's in disrepair and we're just going to have to pick up the pieces and, oh, I pity the next generation and, oh, the our grandchildren and their children. And, you know what? As I read the Bible and I stay a little closer to it, day by day, I realize things haven't changed much at all. The condition of the human heart is the same as it's always been. I mean, with Christians, it is so... Listen, I hope you're listening with both ears and your mind and your heart and your spirit, and I hope it's sincere. I mean, it is so easy to judge that other person who sins differently than you do. We have our favorite sins that we love to pick on. And then we have the others that we just kind of, (laughs) because well, you know why, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is so ironic. Isn't it ironic? We ignore those who want us. We want those who ignore us. We love those who hurt us. And we hurt those who love us. And another reason that I say what I said is that each one of us has an arrogant flesh that thinks it is in charge. That it must take matters into its own hands. Now, a part of Jacob may have liked to justify his actions to say it was okay to lie to Esau. If God doesn't discipline us when those things happen, then we begin to think that lying is okay. Oh, cheating's okay. I cheated my brother out of his birthright. I guess it's okay. I haven't been punished for it. And so we start thinking that the end justifies the means and that God doesn't care about our sin. And if God doesn't keep on disciplining us, even in our 70s, Jacob, and older, so some of us are getting along here, and you think, well, I guess those days are over. Think again. Read Jacob's story. We'll start becoming spoiled little brats and expecting more of God than he's ever promised. So God's message to Jacob, God's message to you, God's message to me is very clear. He says it doesn't matter how old you are. You still need a lot of training. You need to live by faith. Once we understand what that means, it means to live not (laughs) by flesh. Now, the next lesson I want to learn about flight planning is we need to focus on the future, especially in the midst of our flight. So Jacob left. Mama said, run, boy. And Jacob, as they say in down east Maine, USA, he beat feet. I don't like to get all theological on you, and I'll explain that to you sometime. But he was gone. Nothing but dust. Seventy miles out and several days later, he rested by a town or a city named Luz, L-U-Z. The uh, original language, the word Luz means turning aside. By the way, it's right in the middle of where Israel as a nation would be someday. Interesting. Yet at this point, Jacob was in the middle of a foreign country. He was in Hittite territory. He was tired. He was weary of the journey. He was alone. He had to be frustrated. How do you think Jacob felt at that moment? Was he a happy camper? I imagine him sitting there thinking to himself, what in the world have I done? Why did I listen to my mother? I shouldn't have stolen the blessing and deceived my father. I am now separated from my spiritual family. Where is the blessing I'm supposed to be getting? Maybe, God, maybe uh, uh, God is cursing me, and maybe the blessing my father gave me really isn't the blessing for me, and maybe I'm too old to ever get a wife and be the forerunner to the Savior, which he did become. Maybe God has rejected me, and you can't help but think that this man... Felt almost completely rejected and exhausted at such a trip. And to just think, he only had 430 more miles to go. At this point, God's training reaches an important point. If we miss it, then we're just reading literature. He had Jacob at a stage where he realized. He was not in control of his own destiny. I love it. Especially sports teams and stuff. You'll say, yeah, now they're in control of their own destiny. No such thing. Nobody's in control of their own destiny. And the minute you start thinking that, that's step one to your ultimate downfall. He had Jacob at a point of despair. And when Jacob wasn't doing any work, He was just sleeping. He was just thinking about this stuff. He couldn't get it off his mind. God decided to step in and strengthen him in an unusual way. So now we go to Genesis chapter 28. And I'd like to pick up my reading at verse 11. Any of you that are following, or if you'd be so kind to follow, on the screen. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. How many of you are somewhat or even just a little bit remotely familiar with this part of the story? You've heard it before or heard something about it? Or just show, show me your hand so I know. That, okay, good. Some have not That's fine. And if I could, yeah, just keep it moving. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Wow. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south and all. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Think of these words, my friends. Just think of them. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Wow. After Jacob finished seeing this vision, he remarked. I'll go down to to, uh, verse 16 and 17. He had a response to this. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Wow. Wow. At this, I want you to notice this. At this, what I call the most desperate point in Jacob's life. And he, I mean desperate. He felt all alone. God pulled back the curtain from his eyes, revealing to Jacob a whole different dimension. Hey, angels descending and ascending from heaven above. Stairway revealed what was going on behind the scenes. The angels were reporting back to God with the needs of his saints and coming back to earth on specific missions from God himself. Can I interject right here and say, they're still doing that, friend. Angels still exist to do the bidding of God. Angels still send messages. Angels are still reporting to God what's going on in your life and in my life and in our world. If you ever had an inkling of a thought that God the whole world's out of control and God probably doesn't even know what's happening, He doesn't watch Fox News. You just you can just dismiss that thought. <laughs> Completely dismiss it. Get it out of your psyche, get it out of your thinking altogether. Because This is what God is showing Jacob. You say, I wish he'd show me that. Well, we can wish, we can hope. It would be nice, but it doesn't seem to happen very often. Not too many of us have ever experienced something like this. Here's something real important. Hundreds of years later... Jesus used this same text to refer to himself in how the angels were going to be with him throughout his ministry. They were going to be at his birth. They were going to be with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were going to be at his resurrection. They were also going to be at his ascension. And later on, Jacob would actually meet up with the angels on his return home. This flight, i got to tell you, is getting more interesting by the minute. And more importantly than this vision of angels, the Lord reiterated his blessing to Jacob. Jacob indeed will have many. 15 thought, one that is current, one that is is appropriate for today, one that speaks to us today just as much as it it spoke to Jacob all those years ago. Listen, do not, and I got to repeat this do not, do not judge things that are going on in your life just by the way they look, just by the, the look of the situation. Don't judge everything by the looks of things around you. Listen to what I'm telling you right now in this dream. That's what God's saying. He said, Jacob, you will return. He said, Jacob, the Savior will be born through you. There is no regal line now for the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah to come into this world at this point in history. This will happen through Jacob. Jacob wasn't even a married man yet. Jacob had no offspring. Jacob had no kitten or kin. Jacob's in his 70s. Can I just keep telling you what the scenario is here? And if you look around the world today, you'll find this promise and this prophecy came to fulfillment because Jacob's people have inherited every nation on the globe. And they've gone back to reinstate that nation, right in the very area where God was talking to Jacob. You believe the book? You believe the promises of God? It's your choice. I've made mine long ago. The more you let God speak to you through this book, the more he confirms over and over and over and over again the ultimate and eternal truth of God. Now, let's fast forward to 2015. And I don't know. And it's just as well that I don't. Maybe you came in here today See, the only reason I'm here, Bob, is it's raining and there's nothing to do. <laughs> no, that's good. That's legitimate. That's the only reason I'm here. No. No. Uh, <laughs> They said if you want to paycheck, Jack, you better go show up, so. Um, I, I don't know why you're here. You may still, you may be sitting here now, 40 minutes into this, uh, into this service, and you still don't know why you're here. Or maybe you're feeling a little bit like Jacob. Uh, maybe as you look at your life, you say, geez, I've messed up. And I've got somebody really mad at me. And I've had somebody really mad at me for a very long time, and even for a good reason, but they won't get over it, and I can't get over it, and nobody's getting over it. And... Or maybe you came in here, and you feel guilty. Like, okay, I'm rejected. God's rejected me because of some sin or sins, and, and I'm suffering for this. And I feel like I'm a sufferer. And if you feel that way, let me just tell you, heaven's gate is open for you today. These gates were open for you when the angels descended from heaven and announced to the shepherds in Luke 2.11, Today, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Hell was shut when Jesus declared from the cross of Calvary, it is finished. Victory was announced when the angels also said, He is not here. He is risen just as He said. And in these words, Jesus promises us in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, He said, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I get asked once in a while, do I think this is getting close to the end of the age? Do I think we're living in the shadow of end times? And I'm pretty much getting cynical about the answer now and just saying, I don't care. No, I don't. Because when you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you, lo- you win no matter how it goes. You can't lose for winning. Huh? I mean, if I die before he comes, I'm going to be the first, one of the first gang to be raised up to life. That's because we're going to be six feet further away. And uh, if I'm still here when he comes, I'm going up to be with him and meet him in the air. Now, now, I don't see a losing proposition either way, do you? No. He said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Because at the end of the age, some pretty exciting things are going to happen. And if you're in the crowd, I can't start to describe it because I don't think I could anyway. So Jesus speaks these words to his people and he wants us to regard it as if heaven itself were open for us. What God wants you to do as you listen to his word is forget about your back aches and forget about your migraines and forget about the bill that didn't get paid last Thursday and forget about the job that you don't like and forget about the broken washing machine and forget about the flat tires on the car and forget about that stuff just long enough. To put those projects and thoughts and worries on hold, all of the failure and the sin and and the things you shouldn't have done that you did and you should have done that you didn't, they were all there. And you may deal with some of those for the rest of your life, but just stop worrying about those things and start to dwell on the words of the Lord Jesus. Listen to Him talk to you. See, the problem is we don't take time for that input in our lives. Oh, if there's a major catastrophe or we think the sky's about to fall on our head, we're all about, let's pray, let's pray. You know, in one breath, we, we don't think prayers, we, we shouldn't encourage people to pray, we shouldn't mix religion with anything. As soon as there's a calamity in the country, oh, let's all pray. We're praying for you. I love those Facebook. You're in our prayers and thoughts. <laughs> I don't know you know what that means. I honestly don't know what that means. It means I was going to send you a card, but I'm too cheap. We need to pray, folks. We need to talk to God. We need to listen when he talks to us. We talk way too much to him. The truth is, we don't have to say anything to him. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. So we need to get the mind and the spirit and the word of Jesus in our hearts. How do you do it? By listening to him. Heaven has already been opened by the birth the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And when you close your physical eyes and open your eyes of faith, it doesn't matter if you're sleeping on a rock for a pillow, if you're standing on the rock of your salvation. Yes! You've got to go to the gateway that God has provided for you. You can't expect him to treat you like Jacob and just come to you tonight in your dreams. When Paul said faith comes by hearing the message, in fact, he was saying the gateway to God is open through the word, not through sleep, not through dreaming, uh, uh, not through wishful thinking. Now, once the ultimate flight plan has been filed, you must remember to respond to the Lord when the flight is complete. So we go into Genesis 28 a little further. We go down to verse 18 because Jacob did wake up the next morning and he couldn't help but respond to the wonderful encouragement he received. And what did he do? So let's see what it says. Early the next morning, Jacob took, excuse me, took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Now, he was in Luz, which means turning aside, and now he's going to call it Bethel, which means the house of God. Bethel is the house of God. (laughs) Then Jacob made a vow, saying, some of you have made vows, Maybe some of you in here have even kept one or two. And I don't say that uh, disrespectfully. I don't know why people make vows if they don't plan to keep them, but whatever. I'm not sure I like that first word, but I'll read it. What's that first word? If. There's no, never an if with God. Can I just uh, restate that? If God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey that I'm taking, and I'll give me food to eat and clothes to wear. He's not asking for much, is he? So that I return safely to my father's household. That's all he can think about is getting home. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you've given me, I like this part. I love it. I will give you a tithe, a tenth. I like that. I like that. Uh, it, was, it was a little, a little rough, what, what Jacob's saying here and doing, but man, his heart is starting to really, really get into this, and I love it. So, we see Jacob really making some headway. Now, the world would look at this story, and the first thing they do is they'd look at the pillar. They'd look at that stone that Jacob put up. And they say, well, if that was his pillow, it couldn't have been more than, what, two feet, maybe three feet at uh, best? You see, the world puts its importance on how big the pillar is because the world is only impressed with power. But people of the faith realize that it's not how large the pillar is that matters, but the significance of the words and the meaning behind it. What was in that vow? And were you sincerely honest when you made it? From now on, this place would be a reminder to all Israelites, and still is today, of the promise God had made to Jacob many years ago. That was the importance of that pillar. It doesn't seem like much, but it became a focal point in the history of Israel and all the people of Israel. Jacob made that vow. And it does seem a little strange. He's "As if it's When I read that, it was almost like, well, Jacob's making a deal here. Jacob's trying to cut some kind of deal with God. If you do this, I'll do that. And if you do just bless me, bless me, bless me, then I'll do this and that and something else. And it kind of shows, I thought at first reading, and I have to admit I didn't catch it, but I thought it kind of showed a weakness in Jacob's faith. Because he kept saying, if God do this, God do that, God do that, God do that, I'll do such and such. Then I realized that sometimes the context that we get our words translated into the English Bible don't fit the context of the original language, and I don't want to get into... Hebrew scholarship here, only to say that in the original language, in the Hebrew, the then that starts verse 20 what we call the apodosis of the sentence or the, or, the, or the main clause, it actually may come at the beginning, and probably did, of verse twenty. what we call uh, verse 22. Because again, when the people translated the Bible, there were no verse numbers or chapters or whatever. Meaning that Jacob would simply make this place an altar in response to the fulfillment of these promises which he's sure would happen. Now that makes a lot more sense for me and then I confirmed it with a couple of verses of scripture I'm going to leave with you. In Genesis 31, 13, I read this. God speaking to Jacob. He said, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. You and I forget all kinds of stuff, don't we? Especially promises we make to God. Huh? Can I just assure you? God never forgets. (laughs) He said, Jacob, can I have your attention for a moment? I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now, leave this land. What? I just get here. Leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Personally, I love that verse. And if you go on to uh, chapter 35 of Genesis, a little beyond our prescribed reading, verse 1, just that one verse, God's speaking again. God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Man, this story's coming together for me. It seems in these two texts, God's reminding Jacob of the vow he had made to God and the reason why he made the vow as a way of proclaiming to all of his descendants that God had made good on all of his promises. And he'd left with only a staff, but he returns with much more. And there are so many reasons for Jacob now to praise God back at Bethel, the house of God. Now, friends, as we go on in our journey through this life, Good for us to set up our Bethels. What are they? Modern day reminders of where we've been. See, every person in here is on a journey. Every journey represented in here started at a different place than the others, took a different route altogether. Still unpredictable. We don't know where it's headed, how it's headed how it's going to end up. Keep your inspirational notes. (laughs) Remember your favorite Bible passages. Look at the promises that God has made to you. Remember your baptism and what it means. Remember what you've learned through his word, even if you've only been in it a short time. Think about where he's taken you since you first became aware of him. Consider how you can show God your appreciation. If He does give you what you've wanted, and He will at times, and He'll give you more than you ask for at times, visit significant places of your past. Drive back through that neighborhood. If it's only in your mind, page through some of those old photos and remember what you had and remember where you are now. And more often than not, I believe most of us will be driven to put up an altar of praise right where we are today. And we'll recognize the great blessings of God to us. I know some of you have been slammed down. Some of us have taken our licks. It hasn't all been good. It hasn't all been great. It hasn't all been fun, has it? Not every flight is fun. But thank God we're here today. Thank God we can stand up and say I'm building an altar and I'm going to praise and thank God for what he's brought me through and I'm here today as a testimony of God's promise. You know God's been more than generous with some of us through our lives and God has given all of us in here way more than we ever deserve. So to motivate us to praise God even more in our lives. And when we find ourselves physically worse off than we were before, we still need to be content knowing that we have a sure destiny of the promised land of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. When you then return to those places you once came from, you too will be motivated to set up a pillar and say to God, thank you for all the kindness. Thank you for all the mercy. Thank you for all the grace. Thank you for all the salvation. Thank you for all the love. Thank you for all the power. Thank you for all the spiritual awakening. Thank you for all the meaning. Thank you for all the purpose. Thank you for making my life worth living. Dear Jesus, thank you, 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 ad infinitum. World without end. Amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, remember, no retreat, no surrender. Nobody likes to flee from a flight. Because it kind of shows weakness, or it shows desperation, it shows defeat. But i got to tell you one little thing here, because if you get caught, some of you have noticed, you're just getting started in your faith, and you're getting tripped up already. Plenty of people, even God's people, have had to flee from danger. I'm not going to list them all, but I want to list three uh, prominent examples. One is David who had to flee for his life. He had to leave the palace because his son Absalom was out to kill him. Jacob had to flee from Esau, right here in this story, because Esau could see blood. And if you watch the AD series, you'll notice that Jesus told the disciples to flee from Jerusalem, and that's all they seem to be doing for all those 12 series. Uh, When the judgment was going to come on Jerusalem in AD 70, they were getting close to it under the command of Titus. Running away doesn't seem like a very macho thing to do. It is humiliating. Yet let me say this, let me say this. Time and time again in life, we find ourselves doing that, don't we? Fleeing from problems. Free, fleeing from our sins, fleeing from the consequences of those things. Sooner or later, the past, though, usually catches up or we have to slow down. And what happens then is we finally quit fleeing for a minute and we're forced, forced to slow down and contemplate. Well, what have we done with our lives? What have I done? Where am I today? How did I get here? If you get in that situation, maybe you're there right now, maybe you haven't even been a Christian very long. I've got some advice if you'll listen and follow through. God says, instead of saying, "Oop, no oh man, I blew it. Instead of thinking, God's always pointing downward, saying, ah, I caught you, I caught you. See? You're dead meat. Instead of that, what does God say? God says, do not panic. This is a safe place to fail. I'm still here. God says, I'm still in charge. Aren't you glad? I still died. I'm still risen. I still love you. I still forgive you. See, God can forgive me, but I can't forgive you. Now, what's wrong with that picture? God can forgive you but you can't forgive me. What what is wrong with that picture? God says, I don't care where you are. You just sit right now and contemplate. You just sit now and breathe. You just sit now and think about how you got, where you got, and where you wanted to be, and how different that is, and the flight plan was all filed, but something's gone amiss, and here I am, sitting here wondering, is this it? Am I done? Is it over? Is there no hope? And God says, I still love you. I still forgive you. Your problems have already been paid for. Why do we keep making people pay for their problems over and over when it's not even our jurisdiction? God says, I'll take care of your future. You can be sure of that. You have my word on it. See, through Christ, the gateway to heaven is open for you. So stop your flight, open your sight, and revel in delight. For in the end, God says, by believing in my promise, you will be right here with me. (laughs) You've never heard a promise like that. Nothing satisfies our eardrums like that promise. No matter, no matter, no matter. In the end, By believing my promise, you will be right here with me. So I need to ask you, kind of like God, in essence, was asking Jacob, the heel holder, do you have a flight plan? Is it a good one? Is it a safe one? Is it a reliable one? Is it a long-term destination one? Do you have an ultimate, eternal flight plan? A flight plan for this one life and beyond. And listen carefully. If you haven't filed your ultimate flight plan, plan already. In the most loving name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, I would ask you to check in with me before you leave here today because we need to have a conversation. Now let me remind you that in the upper room on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus dined with his disciples and he reviewed for them the meaning of the flight plan for life and the ultimate goal for all of us to reach, and that goal is to be with him for eternity. And in that way, he explained his impending death, his burial, This was not being accepted very well by his disciples. And I'm sure there's an awful lot of it they didn't understand. And he also assured them of his glorious resurrection to new life. And so we're going to come together as a family this morning. All are invited, those who know the Lord Jesus. And those who love his word and love his promises. Those who are living in his grace and are examples of his forgiveness, and we're going to fellowship at the Lord's table in our customary way, and I would ask you to join us.